Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, so uh, please turn there and uh, be with us there in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to have a great word from God's word today. Well, I do hope that you've been enjoying this uh, Christmas season. I know that I have. Uh, it's been enjoyable to listen to Christmas music instead of uh, turning on the news and, and listening to talk radio. It is so refreshing just to listen uh, to the wonderful music of Christmas. And I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying watching Christmas movies with my family. Uh, I put this on the screen for you last week. We'll put it up for you again. Here are nine of the Christmas classics. Uh, that many of us uh, view this time of year. I'm curious, how many of these nine movies have you seen so far this Christmas season? Uh, if I count those on the list there on the in the picture, I think I'm up to about five. If you count the one movie that I slept through, okay? So if you count that one, I think I'm up to five Christmas movies, and we're chipping away at some of these others uh, in the next week and a half. So I hope you're enjoying those Christmas movies. Hope you're enjoying uh, being with the family and, and maybe baking some, some Christmas goodies or some cookies. There's just so much to enjoy this time of year. And as I mentioned to you last week, make sure that you focus this year on the most important part of Christmas. Focus on the Christ of Christmas. Make sure that He is the number one reason why you're celebrating this season. I encourage you to be reading Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, the, the wonderful accounts in the New Testament about the birth of Jesus. I encourage you to read those with your family. I encourage you to be in God's Word each day, to be in prayer each day. I encourage you uh, to be in church each week, either online or in person, and make sure that every week you're prioritizing worship with your church family. These are all ways that we can keep Christ at the center of our Christmas celebration. And once again, don't miss that Christmas Eve service. It's going to be such a blessing, and I'm really excited about that. I hope you'll invite friends and family to join you. We've purposely kept that a little later in the evening so it doesn't cut into dinner time. And if you're in your jimmies, uh, gym jams and uh, watching it in your jammies, that's fine. Uh, but we hope uh, that you and your family will be blessed uh, with that Christmas Eve service as we come together that one last time before Christmas uh, to celebrate this reason for the season. Well, we are in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we'll be looking again at the first seven verses. This is our home base uh, for the month of December during this Christmas season. And today we're going to be looking at the second great title uh, given to the soon and coming King, uh, Jesus Christ. And so I'm calling this message today, Mighty God, based on the second title uh, given to Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And so we're in Isaiah chapter 9. I hope that you've already turned there in your Bibles and you can follow along as I read for us. I'll read the whole passage starting in verse 1, uh, making my way all the way through verse 7. So here we are, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. 
the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. May God bless us as we read and study and apply his word to our lives today. Well, this passage here in Isaiah chapter 9, as I mentioned, is our home base for the month of December during this Christmas season, uh, during the three Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, we're looking at the first three of those wonderful kingly titles given to Jesus in verse 6. Last week we looked at how he was our wonderful counselor. This week we'll focus on how he's our mighty God. Next Sunday we'll look at Jesus as our everlasting Father. And then as we come together on Christmas Eve, we'll focus on Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And so this is a marvelous passage. I mentioned to you last week that it was uh, given by Isaiah first to the people of Judah. That was the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, given to them around 700 B.C. So that was about 700 years before Jesus was born. And it was a very difficult time in the history of Judah. It was a very dark time. There was a whole lot of worry. Uh, There was a whole lot of anxiety. There was a whole lot of fear uh, because Assyria was the world's greatest superpower at the time. And just a few years earlier, that uh, vicious and bloodthirsty army of Assyria had swept into northern Israel, those ten tribes in the north, and had conquered them. They'd wiped out those tribes. And so Judah, huddled there in the south around Jerusalem, wondered if their day was coming. Would they suffer the same fate as their brothers in the north? They didn't know. They were anxious. They were worried. They were scared. But then you look at verse 1 here. God gives them hope. Look again at verse 1. It says, There will one day be no more gloom for those who were in distress. You see, the people in Judah who did not trust in God, their life was all about doom and gloom. They didn't trust that God would save them. They didn't trust that God would protect them. And so their life was doom and gloom. And God says so clearly here, There will one day be no more gloom for my people. And then in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death have seen that a light has dawned. We saw last week that these verses don't just apply to ancient Israel, they apply to America as well. As God's people, we don't have to buy into all the doom and gloom. Our nation is being flushed down the toilet. America is lost. All hope is lost. We're going to have another civil war. There's a lot of doom and gloom being preached around us, but we don't have to buy into that. God promises that one day that gloom will come to an end. God promises that no matter how dark things may appear, He will bring His light through His promised Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have hope, don't we, church? We have hope because of Jesus. And that hope, interestingly, 
in verse 6, we learn that hope, and this really would have surprised the people of Israel in Isaiah's day, that hope would not come through some mighty warrior, some great military leader, some political genius. It wouldn't even come through a league of nations. That hope and that light and that deliverance from the gloom would come through a child. Look again at verse 6. God says, unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What an amazing revelation that God revealed through Isaiah. What an amazing prophecy. The hope of Israel and truly the hope of the world would rest in the hands of a child. He wouldn't be an ordinary child. He would be an extraordinary child. He would be an amazing, wonderful, one-of-a-kind child. And we know that his name was Jesus. One amazing child. Well, our main focus in these weeks leading up to Christmas is this verse 6 here, where God lists these four wonderful titles that describe the promised child. They describe who he is, what his character is like, and what his mission is. And so today we focus on the second of these great titles, Mighty God. Last week I I talked a a good bit about that first title, Wonderful Counselor, and I mentioned to you something along the lines of, over the course of human history, there have been some wonderfully knowledgeable leaders, and there have been some very wise counselors. But Jesus Christ is in a league of his own, isn't he? There has never been a counselor that truly lived up to the name Wonderful Counselor. Only Jesus. His wisdom and His counsel, as we saw last week, are a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation. His wisdom and His counsel are a miracle, a marvel, extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. Jesus is a marvel. Jesus knows you better than anyone else because He alone created you. Jesus understands you better than anyone else because He alone knows you inside and out. And Jesus Christ understands your circumstances and your hardships better than anyone else because He is all-knowing. There is no counselor like the wonderful counselor Jesus Christ. No question you have is too hard for Him to answer. No problem you have is too big for Him to solve. No drama in your family is too dramatic for Him to deal with. And if you feel completely lost and can't find your way back home, Jesus knows the way. In fact, it's even better than that. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself is the way. He knows the way back home because he himself is the way. That first title of Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6, Wonderful Counselor, focuses on Jesus' omniscience. Omniscience is a Latin word which translates as all-knowing. And so that first title, Wonderful Counselor, shines the spotlight on Jesus as being all-knowing. He knows all there is to know. There's nothing that uh, Jesus would learn for the first time. He already knows all things. He's all-knowing. And the second title that we're focusing on this morning, Jesus as a Mighty God, focuses on another wonderful Latin word that Jesus is omnipotent. That Latin word omnipotent means that Jesus is 
all-powerful. So that first title, Wonderful Counselor, Jesus is omniscient, all-knowing. And the second title, Mighty God, Jesus is omnipotent, that is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. And so I'm so thankful that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. His understanding and his plans for us are perfect. But aren't we grateful that Jesus is also the mighty God? It's not that Jesus just knows the answers and knows the right path for us to take. He is all powerful, so he has the means and the ability and the strength and the power to carry out that knowledge. To carry out those perfect plans that he has for us. What a relief. Uh, We live in a world where we have many political leaders who talk the talk, but aren't very good at walking the walk. We all know political leaders that get on the campaign trail, and they make these grand and lavish promises, and once we elect them and they get into office, they drop the ball. They don't follow through in carrying out what they promised they would do. Now, in all fairness... Some politicians aren't able to carry them out because they're powerless to carry out those promises. They simply can't do it with the authority they're given in that specific, their, the specific position they're elected to. At other times, they don't carry out the promises because they're not a, a man or woman of their word. But many times, they just don't have the ability or the power to carry out those promises. But not so with Jesus. Isn't it good to know that he has the perfect plans and he has the wherewithal and the power to carry out every one of those plans. We serve an awesome, awesome Savior. He is our wonderful counselor, but he is also our omnipotent, all-powerful, mighty God. In the original Hebrew language, uh, just like in Spanish, the noun comes before the adjective. And so if you look at this in the original Hebrew, it literally says that Jesus' second title is God Mighty. He is God Mighty. So let's look at each of these two words, just as we did last week with Wonderful Counselor. Let's look at each of these two words in this title, God Mighty. We'll start with the word God. God is a translation of the Hebrew word El. El, E-L, is the singular form of the name of God, Elohim. Elohim is the very first name used for God in the Bible. If you go to the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Literally, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So throughout the Old Testament, thousands of times we find either the word El or the plural form of it, Elohim. And so here in this title, Mighty God, this word El is used. It's clearly translated as God. And so Jesus' second kingly title here in Isaiah 9-6 makes it clear that Jesus is God. Could you say that with me, please? Jesus is God. And the New Testament confirms that Jesus is, in fact, God. Speaking of Jesus as the Word of God, we read in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You flip over to John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Does that title, I am, sound familiar? It's the holiest name that God ever called himself in Old Testament times. 
When Moses was there at the burning bush and Moses said, what do I tell Pharaoh and what do I tell the people of Israel when I go back to Egypt and say, God has sent me to set you free from slavery. God said, tell them, I am sent you. And so Jesus clearly calls himself I am in John 8:58. In fact, we know he was claiming to be to be God because his critics immediately picked up stones and wanted to stone him for blasphemy because no one was supposed to say I am. No one was supposed to claim to be God, but Jesus did so because he in fact is God. He is the great I am. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the Bible is crystal clear. Jesus is God. Amen? And Isaiah 9.6 makes it clear that Jesus is mighty God. I love that word, mighty. It's a great word. Mighty is a translation of the Hebrew word gibor, G-I-B-B-O-R. This Hebrew word gibor is defined as strength, power, hero, warrior. Isn't that good? So here in Isaiah 9-6, we're told that Jesus is El Gibor. Jesus is El Gibor. Here we're told that Jesus is El Gibor, the God of strength. Uh, Jesus is El Gibor, the God of power. Uh, Jesus is El Gibor, the God who is our hero. He is El Gibor, God, our warrior. (laughs) I love it. Jesus Christ is our warrior God. He is our hero God. He is our God of strength and power and deliverance and endurance. Now let me ask you, how many of you need strength in your life today? How many of you need strength in your life today? Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus is the God of strength. How many of you are going through some things and and you've just had it up to here and you can't endure anymore? You need some endurance today. Well, I've got good news for you too. Jesus is the God of endurance. How many of you feel powerless to intervene in the circumstances around you that are pulling you down? Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus is the God of all power. It's an amazing thing. Jesus is your man because he is El Gibor. He is our mighty God. And the New Testament confirms that Jesus is, in fact, our mighty, all-powerful God. Jesus showed himself to be our mighty, all-powerful God by creating the whole universe. We read in John 1, 3, through him, referring to Jesus, all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. You go over to Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, by Jesus For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, things, uh, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. That's Jesus. And Hebrews 1-2 confirms that everything in the universe was created by Jesus Christ. So many people don't realize this clear teaching of Scripture. Uh, Many people don't realize, and part of the reason is because the Jehovah's Witnesses are knocking on people's doors and leading them astray, the Jehovah's Witnesses are dead wrong. 
The Bible does not teach that Jesus is created. The Bible is crystal clear that Jesus is creator. He is the creator God. Not created, he is creator. That's why he is called mighty God. And creating the universe would be enough for Jesus to live up to this title of mighty God. But Jesus didn't stop there. Amen? He didn't stop with just creating the universe. He continued to demonstrate that he is mighty God. That he is all powerful. That he is strong. That he is mighty to save. You look at the New Testament and and look at the ministry years of Jesus and it's very clear that he demonstrated his reality of being mighty God over and over again. He exercised power over nature. Uh, He calmed the raging sea and he walked on water. That's something only a mighty God could do. While Jesus walked the earth, he confirmed his right to be called mighty God by exercising uh, power uh, over disease. By healing the sick and curing diseases and opening the eyes of the blind. He exercised power over demons by driving them out each and every time. No demon could resist the authority and power of the mighty God, Jesus Christ. He exercised power over sin by forgiving anyone who asked for forgiveness, no matter how wicked their sin had been. And Jesus exercised power over death. Remember, he raised the widow's son. And Jesus raised the little girl. And Jesus raised Lazarus. And on Easter morning, Jesus himself was resurrected from death to life. He conquered death once and for all as he himself conquered death on Easter morning. Jesus Christ demonstrated over and over again that he is all-powerful. That he is truly living up to that title, Mighty, Mighty God. Our Daily Bread devotional, I think, says it really well. It writes, throughout the course of his public life, Jesus revealed his divine might in ways that not only were undeniable, but also intentional validations of his claim to be God. When we see the otherwise unexplainable demonstrations of God's might in the unparalleled life of Christ, it becomes clear why Paul would call Jesus the Son of God with power in Romans 1.4. And Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1.24. So this Christmas season, allow this truth to germinate in your mind and heart. Jesus is our mighty God. Because Jesus is God, Jesus has the endurance of God. He has God's strength and Jesus has God's power, but it's actually more than that. Jesus doesn't just have God's endurance. Jesus is the epitome of God's endurance. He is the God of endurance. Uh, Jesus doesn't simply have God's strength. He is the God of strength. And Jesus doesn't simply have God's power. Jesus is the God of power. What a mighty God we serve as we serve and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus is El Gibor. He's our mighty, all-powerful God, our God hero, our God warrior. As we follow Him, He fights for us, whether it's a physical battle or an emotional battle or a spiritual battle, our mighty God fights for us. No wonder Christ's followers have said for centuries that the battle 
belongs to the Lord? Well, I think we need to answer a very important question. And that question is this. How should I respond to the mighty God? How should I respond to Jesus Christ? Well, I'm really glad you asked that question. And if you didn't, I'll pretend you did and answer it anyway. How should we respond to Jesus Christ? Well, just like with the title Wonderful Counselor, what we've just learned isn't just good theology. It's practical theology. It's not just intended to fill your mind with interesting knowledge and trivia about God and Jesus Christ and who Jesus is. It's intended to take hold of your heart and be lived out in your daily life. So what exactly should we do? Well, here's the answer. Every day you and I should trust and love and serve our mighty God, Jesus Christ. Let's look at each of those. First, you should trust our mighty God. In Hebrews 11.6, we read, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. This verse can also be translated this way. Without trust, it is impossible to please God. Or you could say it this way. Without trust, it is impossible to please Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in John 14 verse 1, Trust in God, trust also in Me. In John 3.16, a verse all of you, I'm pretty sure, know, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes and trusts in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That word believes can also be translated just as accurately as trust. We not only believe in Jesus, but we must trust in Jesus. It's not enough to just believe in Him. We learn in the book of James, you believe in God. Well, great. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. You think about believing in God. The devil believes in God, but he ain't saved. The devil believes in God, but he's going straight to the pit of hell after this earth comes to its end. Right? And so it's not enough to just believe in Jesus Christ. God has called us to trust in Jesus Christ. We are to trust in him. That He is wise enough to give us the solutions to our problems. That God is strong enough through Christ to carry out solutions to the difficulties you face. To trust that He is strong enough to deliver you from your problems. Strong enough to heal you from your diseases. Strong enough to save you from your sins. Let me ask you, do you trust in Jesus Christ today? Say, well, yeah, sure, I accepted Christ as my Savior years ago. Well, that's nice. You said a confession of faith. You probably got baptized. Wonderful. But do you trust in Jesus Christ today? Do you trust Him with what you're dealing with today? Trust Him. Trust Him. Jesus Christ is mighty to save. Second, you should love our mighty God. Don't just simply trust Him. Love our mighty God, love Jesus Christ. Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the Old Testament law? And Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
The greatest command that our mighty God, Jesus Christ, has ever given us is this one. Love me. Love me. Jesus says it's the greatest command. Love me. And how exactly do we do that? How do we love Jesus Christ? Well, remember that love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Love is lived out. It's a choice. Love is a decision. We choose to love Jesus Christ by spending time in His Word and in prayer every day. We choose to love Jesus Christ by spreading the good news about Him to others that are lost and dying without Him. We love Jesus Christ by going to church each week and making worship a priority for ourselves and our families each week. And we love Him by coming together to do what the mission of our church is. To love, learn, and serve together. We love God and people together. We study His Word together. and It's one of the most important parts of our Sunday morning services. We, we learn His Word together. And we serve Him and others by being a blessing to people in our community and being a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The number one way that we show our love to Jesus Christ is by obeying Him. By obeying Him. The number one way we show our love to Him is to obey Him. We do what He says. Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus tells you point blank, and He tells me point blank, If you love me, you say you love me, prove it. Do what I command. We show our love to Christ by living out His commands. So, number one, what should we do in response to this realization that Jesus Christ is our mighty, omnipotent, all-powerful God? Number one, we should trust Him every day of our lives. Number two, we should love Him every day of our lives. Number three, you should serve Him. You should serve our mighty God. One of the greatest Christians in the New Testament was the Apostle Paul. That's undisputed. Anyone would agree to that. He was a great follower of God. He was a great leader in the church. But more than anything else, he just wanted to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he would admit that he was an apostle just sometimes so he could have the uh, authority conveyed to people so they would receive the message he had to share. But more than anything else, he just wanted to be known as a faithful servant. Paul so much wanted to get to the end of his life and be able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And he wanted to be able to stand before Jesus Christ on Judgment Day and hear those six words that every devoted Christian should want to hear spoken to them by Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I live for those words. I live for those six words. I want to hear him say to me someday, Dane, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, Paul understood that Jesus came to earth as a baby not to be served, but to serve. And Paul wanted to follow in Jesus' footsteps as a servant. And he calls us to follow in Jesus' footsteps as a servant. Paul writes in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, 
taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ chose to be the lowest of the low, to be the servant of servants, because he loved you and me, and he wanted us to be following in his footsteps, being able to love and serve others humbly as well. He did it because he loved us. He served us because he wanted us to be set free from our sin and damnation in hell. He did it to set us free and give us life. But he also did it to set an example for us that we should do the same for others. Well, make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is our mighty, all-powerful God. Amen? He is our God warrior. He is our God hero. And some of you need to take hold of your God warrior today. Some of you need to take hold of our a God warrior and hero today. There is no, out, uh, no obstacle in your life that is too big for him to move. There is no disease in your body that is too advanced for him to cure. There is no addiction that grips you that he can't conquer. And there is no sin in your life that is too sinful for him to forgive. As you trust Him and love Him and serve Him this Christmas season, you can stand and say with the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? That is your God warrior. That is your God hero. That is our mighty God that we serve and celebrate this Christmas season. Take hold of Jesus Christ today. He can. Have the strength in your life that you desperately need. So lean on Him this Christmas season. Take hold of God Almighty. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being our mighty God. Thank you for being our God warrior, for being our God hero. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For not just being the one who has the perfect solutions to our problems, but has the ability to carry out those solutions. Thank you. What a wonderful blessing it is to know that you are both wonderful counselor and mighty God. You don't just talk the talk, but you walk the walk. You don't just say what should be done. You have the ability to carry out whatever needs to be done. There is nothing that can be done that you can't do. You are all powerful, Lord Jesus. Thank you for demonstrating your might and your power and your endurance and your strength and making that available to us as we lean on you. Lord, sometimes we misinterpret that beautiful verse in Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, on my own, I cannot do all things On my own, Lord, there is so much that I can't do. But with your strength, with you working in me and through me, I can do all things for your honor and glory that you call me to do. Thank you, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters listening to this message in prayer right now that they would take hold of you. That they may take hold of you, mighty God, and follow you every day of their lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you're with us today and you've never made that decision to accept Jesus Christ as your mighty God, today's the day to do that. Christmas is a wonderful season to get right with God. If you do not accept Jesus Christ as God, don't miss me on this. If you do not accept Jesus Christ as God, then you're not accepting God. A stripped down version of God is not God at all. And unless Jesus is in the mix, you are not worshiping and following the one true God. So this Christmas, I encourage you to submit yourself to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, it's not complicated. We like to share the ABCs. A, admit that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to follow Jesus Christ from this point forward as your Lord and as your God. Make that decision. And if you make that decision today, Jesus says you need to be baptized to show God, the angels, and the world that you're serious about this decision. Reach out to one of our prayer counselors right now. We'd love to share with you how you can be baptized as soon as possible. We'll even come to you if we need to. We'd love to baptize you and get you started on your walk with Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And for those of you who have already made that decision to follow Christ, it's time to take communion together. Jesus gives followers of Christ this wonderful opportunity to remember his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so this bread is not Jesus' body. It simply represents it. And so the bread helps us to remember Jesus' broken body. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Similarly, Jesus gave us the wine or the juice. said this represents his blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. This isn't Jesus' blood, it just represents it. And if we take in a worthy manner, asking Jesus to forgive our sins and make us clean once again, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive. Not because this juice is in any way holy, but because we are remembering and taking hold of that blood of Christ that can cleanse us from all sin. Lord Jesus, wash me clean. Wash us clean. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to end the service with one final song. I believe it's a Christmas song. One final song as we bring this service to a close. If you need prayer today, if you've made a decision for Christ today, if there's anything we can do, reach out to one of our prayer counselors in the next few minutes. God bless you. Enjoy celebrating and worshiping our mighty God this Christmas season.